Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. If you have your Bibles, um, if you'll turn with me to Deuteronomy chapter 12. Deuteronomy chapter 12. And we'll start in verse 1 in just a moment. Last, I think I failed to do it last week, but I wanted, as I started this year, I'd like to try to give you different things. I do believe it's so important, you're, I, I, us as, as believers, our personal um, devotion life um, is really, um, just really, really vital for, uh, for spiritual health. And so uh, I encourage you as we begin in, uh, beginning this year to, to maybe start our Bible reading plan if you haven't done that or find a Bible reading plan. As I said to you before, the greatest thing I've ever done for my own spiritual, personal devotion life is reading through the Bible and reading that year in and year out. And so every year I grow more in understanding who God is by simply just digesting his word. So I encourage you to do that. But I know some of you are maybe just getting into maybe having a daily quiet time and so um, having a chunk of reading four different um, portions of scripture may be a lot for you at this point. I would encourage you, if you want to do our Bible reading plan, you can still maybe start by saying, okay, this year I'm not going to try to read all four. I'm just going to read the first two or maybe just the first one of the passages and maybe start that way and kind of um, kind of work your way up um, to maybe reading more in the years to come. So maybe start that way or maybe you find a different devotional. So I want to give you different devotionals. And um, this is probably one of my go-to old faithful. This is devotion that I did probably in 2000. Eight, maybe 2000, yeah, 2008, I think I grabbed this one. It's by Chuck Swindoll. It's called Great Days with Great Lives. It's a great devotional. It's very simple. It gives you a passage of scripture, probably uh, maybe 10, chap- I mean, 10 verses a day. And then he has just a devotion that goes with that passage. It's a great book. So um, great devotional. So if you're looking for one, this is the oldie but goodie classic. So Great Days with Great Lives by Chuck Swindoll. So encourage you to pick that up if you want to um, grab a, a, a good devotional. Another thing I want to share with you, a resource, and I just want to use, actually use it today, so I want to share it with you. Another great resource for you is just I really encourage you to work on different aspects of your um, lives. And uh, one thing that's really important, I think, for all of us, if you're married here today, is the work on your marriage. And so we're coming close. I know we're just we're headed into Valentine's Day, so I'm just trying to give you, you men some help, okay? Um, but there's a great book. There's a lot of great books on marriage. And this is one of the better books out there. It's called by Timothy Keller called The Meaning of Marriage. And so I encourage you, if, not, um, if you've not read something lately on marriage, grab this book. It's just a tremendous book. Um, I've read a lot of great books, and this is one of the good ones, okay? Um, also encourage you, every single if you're single here and you're not married yet or um, you're looking for what God's plan, this is a book for you too. So this relates to all of us that are here today. So The Meaning of Marriage by Timothy Keller. Timothy Keller in his book um, starts out with um, the idea that, if, um, that God designed marriage and then therefore God's, because he created it, he designed it, then he regulates it. And he uses this illustration that imagine if you went and bought a new Honda today. You went and bought you a new Pilot, all right? And you took that Pilot home and you, um, that new Honda Pilot, and you came home with it and the, you know, the salesman says, you know, in the glove box is a, um, a manual that tells you everything about how to work the car. And, you know, so if you have any questions, make sure you look through that. And you say, you know what? You know, I know Honda designed this car and know Honda made it, but you know, I, I, I don't really need their instructions. Um, I don't need to follow their plans. You know, they may say you use regular gas, but I'll put whatever gas I want to put in the car. And they may say use um, synthetic oil, but I'll put whatever synthetic oil I want to put. I mean, oil I want to put in the car. They may say I need to change oil every 5,000. <laughs> Who are they? I'll do 20. You know, I'll just do whatever I want to and how I want to follow how I take care of that car because it is my car. And Timothy Keller says if we do that, what's going to happen? It's going to fall apart, Right? Um, why? Because we're not following the plans of the original um, creator, right? And he says that's, he's, he likens that to marriage, that God created marriage, God instituted marriage, and therefore God regulates it. And if we don't fi- follow God's plan for marriage, 
our marriage will fall apart. And many times we think it's somebody else's problem, but really it's our problems because we didn't follow God's plan. I want to take that in today as we come to this passage of scripture. Last week as we looked to worship, we we had this idea that God created us for worship. He called us to worship. But we looked at why should we worship the Lord. And we looked at that in, in what did the, what the Lord require of us? He requires our worship. And why should we worship? Because he's the creator, right? He's the sustainer. He's the one who's given salvation to us. Well, today as we come to Deuteronomy chapter 12, he, he goes to us by giving us instructions for worship. You know, I think many times we miss out on worship and really getting what we want out of worship or, or maybe feeling um, um, not worshiping as we should. And the, really the, the reason why we are not really connecting is because we're not following God's instructions. So this morning in Deuteronomy chapter 12, he gives us instructions for worship. And so I want to look at those together. So let's read God's word together. So Deuteronomy chapter 12, we'll start in verse 1, we'll read through 14. So stand with me. Let's read God's word together. Says these are the statutes and the rules that you shall be careful to do in the land that the Lord, the God of your fathers, has given you to possess all the days that you live on the earth. You shall destroy all the places where the nations in whom you shall dispose. um, uh, Dispose. I'm sorry. Let me go back to verse two. You shall surely destroy all the places where the nations in whom you dispose serve their gods, on the high mountains. On the hills and under every green tree, you shall tell down the altars and dash into pieces their pillars and burn their ashrams with fire. You shall chop down the carven image of their gods and destroy their name out of that place. You shall not worship the Lord your God in that way. But you shall seek the place the Lord your God uh, will choose out of all the tribes to put his name and to make his habitation there. There you shall go. And there you shall bring your burnt offerings, your sacrifices, your tithe, your contribution that you present, your vow offerings, your free will offerings, the firstborn of your herd and of your flock. And there you shall eat before the Lord your God. You shall rejoice, you and your household, and all that's in your undertake, in which the Lord your God has blessed you. You shall not do according to what they are doing there I'm here today, everyone doing what is right in their own eyes. For you have not yet... Um, for have not as yet come to the rest and to the inheritance that the Lord your God has given you. But when you go over um, the Jordan and live in the land that the Lord your God has given you to inherit, when he gives you rest from all your enemies around, that you live safely, then to the place that the Lord your God will choose to make his name dwell there. You shall bring all that I commanded you, your burnt offerings, your sacrifices, your tithe, your contribution that you present, and um, all your finest vow offerings that, you're, that you vow to the Lord. And you shall rejoice before the Lord your God. You shall, you and your sons and your daughters, your male servants, your female servants, the Levite who is within your towns, since he has no portion and inheritance with you. Take care that you do not offer and burn offerings at any place that you see, but at the place that the Lord will choose in whom um, in one of your tribes. There you shall offer the burnt offerings, and there you shall do all that I command you. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you, Lord, for your word. Lord, bless this time together. Lord, may you lead me to rightly divide your word. May we, as here today, Lord, listen for your voice. And God, today, as you speak, may we hear, may we respond, may we obey. In your name we pray. Amen. So today I want to look at, um, as this is, as I mentioned to you last week, starting Church Mission Month. So every Sunday I just want to look a little bit more about what is our mission as a church. And part of our mission as a church is worship. And so I want to look more about worship and what that means for us. Today, the title of my sermon is Instructions for Worship. In the Old Testament, when you look at the word worship, you, it really, the word means to bow down, or it means to lay out oneself um, out of respect to the Lord. It, it's kind of the idea of bowing down and worshiping something. There's another word in the Hebrew, it it's actually means to serve, but it's also used for worship, and the idea is showing respect to something, or reverence or something, or worship something in a service. Um, where God is to be praised, and, and um, so serving the Lord with your worship 
um, or, or worshiping the Lord through service may be another way. So these are different ways that we worship the Lord. We worship the Lord by bowing down. We worship the Lord as we sing. Some of you, as the Lord led you to worship the Lord, raise your hand, right? And that's a way that you're praising the Lord by your, your, the body language that you have. You're giving praise to the Lord. But you also worship the Lord in how you serve, right? You are, some of you worship the Lord in you teaching um, here in our, one of our growth group. You worship the Lord as, as our sound team's up there today, running sound. They worship the Lord by giving their gifts of service. You worship the Lord by coming and, and serving in different ways here in our church. That's a way that you worship the Lord is through your service. So there's different ways that we worship, but here in this passage of scripture, he's wanting to give us instructions of how we are to worship. He first, as he begins this passage of scripture, you have to know that um, this is instructions that God is giving Moses, um, that he's giving the nation of Israel before they enter into the promised land. So this is kind of pre-promised land. He knows, God knows that I have this people, Israel, and they're going to be a nation, and I'm about to move them into a place that will be their nation, and in that nation, they're going to worship me. And when they get there, um, they have instructions for how they are to worship when they get in and become that nation. And so he's kind of given them um, instructions before they arrive, if you will. And these are the instructions and so, uh, of how they are to worship when they get to that promised land. And so you can see verse 1, these are the statutes and the rules. That's where I've kind of gotten the idea of instructions that you shall be careful to do. These are things that you're careful to do and follow in the land the Lord your God, your fathers, has given you to possess. These are instructions that you should do when you go into the promised land. And so look what first what he says here is the first instruction. You shall, you shall surely destroy all the places where the nation in, you, um, in whom you shall dip, dispose serve their gods. So he says, when you go into this promised land, there's a lot of other false worship out there. It's everywhere. It's going to be everywhere you go. There's going to be people worshiping false gods on the mountains. There's going to be altars to other gods. It's, it's going to be rampant. It's going to be everywhere you go in that nation. And the very first thing that you do when you go into that promised land, the first instruction that you have for worship is your first, you are to remove all false worship. You've got to get it out. You're going to be the nation that, that, that I have set apart as holy unto me. So the first thing you're to do is you're, most, you're to remove all other forms of false worship. It's, it's got to be gone. It's got to be taken out. If you go to Leviticus 18, you see that in Leviticus 18, and I'll, I'll read the verses, um, he says to Moses, Moses, the Lord spoke to Moses, and he said these things. Speak to the people of Israel and say to them, I am the Lord your God, and you shall not do as they do in the land of Egypt where you lived, and you shall not do as they do in the land of Canaan. Now, pause for a second. Egypt was where they came from, right? Canaan is where they're going. That's the promised land. You shouldn't do as the people that you saw in Egypt. You're in the wilderness now. You're headed into Canaan. You shouldn't do as the people what you saw in the past. And you shouldn't do as the people that you're going to see in the future. And then he says, here, in which I am bringing you, you shall not walk in their statutes. You shall follow my rules and keep my statutes and walk in them. I am the Lord your God. So stop there. All right? You're not to do as, you, as what you've seen in the past. You're not to do as those that you are going to see in the future. Why? Because I'm your God. And because I'm your God, you're to follow what? My instructions. You're to walk in my statutes. And therefore, he says in verse 5, Therefore you shall keep my statutes, and if a person does them, he shall live by them. I am the Lord. And so, and then after this passage of Scripture, he goes to describe and, and I encourage you to read this some other time. I've mentioned it to, to, this to you before. But he goes to describe the rest of chapter 18. He goes and describes the worship of those in Canaan. It's a really um, vivid description of their worship. Their worship uh, that he talks about that you're going to find on the mountain. You're going to find the different altars. You're going to follow all through um, Israel that you've got to remove. Their worship was described with, with prostitution. It was described as incest, verses 6 through 18. There in their worship was adultery. Homosexuality was a part of their worship. 
child sacrifice was a part of their worship. And so God instructs to them, when you go, you've got to remove all that. You've got, you've got to get rid of it. You've, you've got to purge the land from it. He not only instructs them that they are to remove it, but he instructs them that you're not to worship me that way. Look at verse 4 of Deuteronomy 12. He says this. He, in verses 2 and 3, he talks about removing it. He uses the imagery of you shall dispose of them. You shall tear down their altar. You shall dance, uh, dice them to pieces, their pillars. You shall burn them with fire, the ashram, which is the idol. You should chop down the images, the the idols, you shall destroy that out of that place. And then verse 4, listen to what it says. You shall not worship the Lord, your God, in that way. It's very clear. Like, they're worshiping their gods in this way. But listen, Israel, you are not to worship me in that way. That, that's not how you worship me. And so it's got to be removed. It's got to be removed because you are not to me, worship me that way, and you're not to do as they do. He even says that in verse 8. Look at the passage of Scripture with me. Deuteronomy 12, 8. He says, you shall not do according to all that they're doing here today, everyone doing what is right in their own eyes. Israel, you've, you've got to go in. And when you go in, there's got to be a cleansing process. You've got to remove the false worship. You can't worship like they do. You've got to get rid of it. And you can't do like they do. I really think this issue for the Lord is that the Lord understood. Israel, if you leave their worship in that place, then there's going to be a danger for you worshiping me like the world worshiped their gods. right? Because he says you can't worship me that way. I don't want you to worship me in that way, and I want you to do as they do. You know, this, this imagery that he, God wanted to be worshipped a certain way, which was holy and pure, and there was this real danger in the Lord's mind that if they didn't remove that, that they would take elements of the worship of the world at that time and mix it with the worship of God, right? And so he's saying, listen, it can't be that way. It's got to be removed because you're going to try to mix them together if you don't. So it's got to be removed. You know, I was a, teen, I was a teenager. I was a teenager one time. I know it's kind of hard to believe. But back in the day, I was a student pastor is what I was going to mention and worked with students for many years, 1996 really to 2006 um, is how long I worked with students in student ministry. And, and I remember working at students with student ministry. It was like constantly... Um, you know, it's kind of like parenting, you know, you have these teenagers and they're like, you know, they want to live on the edge. They want to, you know, do the things of all the things that the world does. And I remember we were like constantly, it's like constantly telling them, you really students, you really got to be careful what you listen to. We're really talking about ports of what music they were listening to. And, and, um, and I remember that was such a huge part. And then we're talking about, it's really important, not only what you listen to, it's really, we're talking about how important it was for what, what they watch, like what movies they watch, what television shows that they watch, and really talking about um, how they dress, you know, how important that they watch what, how they dress. And we really was like pushing these things. And I, I really felt like at times with our students in student ministry, I'm not saying this about our students in our student ministry here, but in students in my churches in the past, that had teenagers who say, well, pastor, well, Okay, you say I shouldn't do these, I shouldn't listen to this music, but, but how much can I listen to? It's almost like, okay, show me the line, right? And, and let me see how close I can get to the line, right? How, how, how much can I look like the world and still be like, okay, right? It's like I, wanna, I want Jesus, but I really want the world too, so how close can I can walk the line, right? And I told our students oh, so many times this statement that too many times we want to be Christians or believers that look like the world instead of Christians that look like Jesus. We, we said we want all the things of the world that the world has to offer us. All the, we see the world and we saw all the different ways our world worships, so many different things. And we want all those things. They look so good on Instagram and Twitter and Facebook and, and the television media. And, and we want all the things that our world has to offer. And so I want all these things and I, I want a little bit of Jesus too. But I want more of the things of the world than I want of Jesus. And, and that's the issue in Deuteronomy 12. 
that if you don't remove these things, you're going to try to worship the world and you're going to add a little Jesus to your life. And he's saying, listen, you've got to remove these things. And listen, I'm, and I'm not here to pick on other churches, but I want you to see how prevalent this is in our world today. We have churches all across America today. If you follow just Deuteronomy, and I'm not here to pick on one issue because there's a lot more issues than this, okay? But you see in Leviticus the issue of the, the gods of the, um, of the world there were what? Part of their worship was homosexuality, right? And he says, you should not worship me that way. It's got to be removed. And we've got churches today have welcomed that into the church as part of their worship. And are allowing it. And now we've got churches who look like the world instead of looking like what God's word says. And it's compromising. And listen, we see that in the churches. And listen, and, and, and I want you to hear me. Sin is sin, right? And all sex outside of marriage is wrong. Whether it's premarital sex or homosexuality, it's all wrong in the sight of the eyes of the Lord. Adultery is just as bad as homosexuality. You understand that, right? And so it's just as bad that we know that we have churches who, have, who are allowing homosexuality, just as bad as we know that there's churches who are allowing pastors who have sexual um, explicit backgrounds in their, in their past and the churches are still allowing them to serve. Both of those are horrible in the eyes of God. So understand that. But I want you to understand in this passage of Scripture, we see this in our churches, in our world, but we also are doing that in our individual lives. We look at the church and we say, man, how dare a church do that? But we don't want to take accountability for our own lives. What way in my life am I wanting to have one thing of the world but also want a little bit of Jesus? And I'm not willing to say, God, I want to worship you, but I'm really ready, I'm really okay with letting go of something. That the world, I think, the, that I can get from the world. So I would encourage you to just think about that today. When you think about the Lord's instruction for your worship, he instructs you to remove some stuff. He instructs you to be wholly set apart. Your life should look a lot different than those around you. The way you talk should look a lot different from those around you. What you watch should look a lot different than those around you. The way you dress should look a lot different than those around you. Scripture says, but he who has called you is holy. You also are to be holy and all your conduct, since it's written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. Just picture in Scripture in Psalm 86, I want you to think about just maybe different things in your life, but I really also want you to think about your heart. Right? Because it's not only just the things that we do behaviorally, but sometimes it's, it's, we have a, a divided heart. The psalmist would say this, and he would pray this prayer. He would say, teach me your way, O Lord, that I might walk in your truth and unite my heart to fear your name. It's the imagery that his heart was divided. God, I need you to unite my heart. Jesus taught this idea that, um, of a, a kind of a divided heart. In Matthew 6, um, he says, and this is a passage we just read just a few days ago, do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy, where thieves break in and steal. Lay up yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroy, where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your heart, I mean, where your treasure there is, there will be your heart also. Imagery for Jesus is there, is that where, where you put, um, where your treasure is on earth, Right? That's where your heart is. You either your, your heart is in your treasure on earth or your heart is in your treasure in heaven. It's imagery that you can't have this divided heart of saying, I want my treasures on this earth and I also want a little treasure in heaven. Jesus says, fix this issue. He kind of gives some 
practical teaching. He says, the eye is a lamp of the body. If your eye is healthy, the whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, the whole body will be full of darkness. And then um, the light is, um, light in you is darkness. How great is the darkness? He says this in verse 24, no one can serve two masters. He would hate one or love the other. He'll be devoted to one or despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. The imagery of divided heart. God and the, the God of money. You know, I was thinking about this, and um, I think sometimes it's important for us to examine. Where is my heart? If I would examine my heart, if I want to examine where my treasures, how do I kind of determine what that would be? There's a thing, and I've shared with this, with this, um, with you in the past, but it comes up every year. So I just came up last um, few weeks ago, so it made me think about it. There's Apple Music has this thing, and I don't know if you're in one of these music subscription businesses. There's Spotify, Apple Music. I think there's something else. I don't remember. Um, maybe Amazon or something. We have Apple Music. And so Apple Music subscription, and you can listen to any music you want. And, and so, and that's what we have in our family. We listen to different music. Well, what it'll do is it'll curate and it'll track what you listen throughout through the year. And at the end of the year, they have this thing called Replay. In Replay, you go on and you put your, your credentials in, and it goes and it shows you every, all the music you listened to in the last year. It'll tell you how many songs you listened to in the last year. It'll tell you what your number one song was. Um, it, it said for me that I listened to 1,914 songs last year. Who knew? Evidently, they knew. Um, it told me what my top song was. It told me what my top artist was. It told me what my top playlist was. Um, and my top song was, I didn't know this, in, in the House by Crowder. Who knew? I liked that so much. I didn't know that myself. Um, the top artist that I listened to was Shane and Shane. And um, the top playlist, and I knew this because I listen to the same playlist all the time. It's Today's Christian. It's like a playlist on Apple Music. But it tracked me. It tracked everything I, I, I'm looking at. And, and, and we have all kinds of things that does this. Even if you're a bank account, if you have your bank on, um, online, you can go on your bank online banking, and they'll be tracking, right? You can hit tracking, and it'll track your spending, right? And it'll track how you spent your money in this last month. And what you spent the most money on, right? You have social media sites. We know this through this has happened in the last year or so. The social media sites are tracking what you're looking at. And they see what you look at the most, and it feeds into your feeds things that it knows that you're interested in, that you'll get, you'll look at those things more, right? And so I want you to, if you think about that, if you think about Apple's tracking you, Facebook's tracking you, your bank's tracking you. Can I tell you the Lord's tracking you? And every, Scripture says you'll give an account of every careless word. So that means he's tracking every word you say. He knows your thoughts. He knows what you do every day. And if you would examine what you look at every day or what you watch every day or how you spend your money or what you listen to I would imagine if you look at what's on top of your list that's what you worship the most what you think about the most what consumes most of your time what you think about when you have a break in a day that is what your heart worships now I want you to just do some evaluation where your treasure is, there is your heart. I ask you today, we look at this passage of scripture and we're like, ooh, ooh, you know, um, you know, bad churches who are allowing these things in this world, but be honest with yourself today. What are you treasuring? What ways is your heart divided? For some of you today, there's some really great things in your life. But there's some things in your life today that you're worshiping more than you worship the Lord. And let's be honest about that. Some, for some of you, it could be, if you're real honest, it's your work. You live and you breathe and you think work. You're at work, you think about what you're doing, you need to do for work. When you get home, you think about what you're going to do for work. When you have free time, you think about what you need to do when you get back to work. Work is a good thing, and I'm not trying to tell you you need to quit your job tomorrow. But what I'm telling you is some of you are worshiping work more than you're worshiping the Lord. And your heart's divided. 
Some of you today at school, maybe you're in middle school or high school or elementary school here, and you're consumed with your grades, you're consumed with being on top, and it's, it's the God that you worship now is finding success in school. Or maybe for you it's not school, maybe it's athletics, it's maybe your sport that you play, and you worship that. It's all about how much more time you can get into the batting cage or how much more time you can put up shots in or how much time you can work on um, your dance or whatever it may be. But you're consumed with how much better you can be and how that's going to take you to the, your dream or your vision. And you worship that more than you worship your Lord. For some, it's money. You look at your IRA or your 401K or your whatever it may be. You can tell how much I know about that stuff. And you track it, how up it's going and what the stock markets are doing. And you live and think about all the time what will happen one day when I retire and I get to enjoy all that I have stored up for so long. Maybe it's money. You consume with that. Some of you, it's materialism. You buy one thing from Hobby Lobby only to look to what you need to get the next day from Hobby Lobby or Target or Walmart or whatever it may be for you. And it seems like just when you get satisfied with buying the new gadget the next gadget comes out and you feel like your heart's a restless heart because you can never find satisfaction in buying things. It's always more. For some, it is a relationship with a boyfriend or girlfriend. Let's be honest today. This is always a touchy one that I always feel uncomfortable sharing, but reality today that our world has made sex a God. And there are those who are worshiping every day trying to find pleasure and happiness in sex and sexual identity and whatever it may be, it's become one of the gods of our world. It's on how every Instagram page, it's on every Facebook page, not every Facebook page, but you know what I'm saying. It's, it's one of the most popular things of our world. News outlets, it is just selling sex and being, um, I don't have to explain that anymore. I'm asking you today, what's consuming your thoughts? What's consuming your heart? Really, today, what are you worshiping? You spend more time on Facebook than you do reading your Bible? That's a problem. If you, if you look at Facebook and you never touch your Bible in a day, that's a problem. If you spend time watching the TV, but you'll never take, spend time opening up your word of God. You spend time communicating, text messages, all these things, but you never spend time daily communicating with your God. Listen, it ought not to be this way. You shouldn't do as our world does, right? You shouldn't worship the way they worship. You should worship only your God. He is to be first. And everything else has, has got to be put in its order. So I about preached my whole sermon on the first point. And I got three more. So I'm going to quickly go through these today. The next thing that he says, first you remove these things, right? But the next thing you find a place. And I, I love this in, in verse 5. Listen to what he says. You, you kind of remove all these other places, right? But verse 5, but you shall seek a place that the Lord your God will choose out from all your tribes to put his name and to make his habitation there. There you shall go. There you shall bring your burnt offerings, your sacrifices. In verses 10, you see kind of the repeat, uh, him repeat the same thing. But when you go over the Jordan, that's when you go into the promised land, you live in that land the Lord your God has given you to inherit. When you give, um, and when he gives you rest from all your enemies around you, that you shall live safely then to the place that the Lord your God will choose to make his name dwell there. You shall bring um, all that I've commanded you in your burnt offerings. And so this instruction is first, you're to remove all the false worship. Second, is you're to find a place of worship. He talks about this, and just to be quick here, he, he talks about this idea that there in, the, in Israel that he would find a place, and he says of all the other tribes, basically he would select one tribe. The tribes were um, distributed land throughout all of Israel. So he would choose one place, one tribe who had a portion of land, and in their portion of land he would put his temple there, and he would uh, put the, um, the temple or the tabernacle would dwell there, and that's the, 
the tabernacle comes from the word Shekinah. Shekinah is where we get this kind of glory. Shekinah glory is the imagery of the presence of God. And he's saying, there I will dwell. And where I dwell in that place, that is a place that you shall come and worship me. There's a, a place, one place of worship for you. And when you go to the promised land, you need to remove all the false worship. And then you are to find that place of worship that I have for you. And you are to go there. It's not enough that you just know that it's down the road. Or you know that where it's located or what tribe it's in. You, every one of you, whether you live in that area or whether you don't. You must go to that place and you must worship me there. There was this uh, instruction that they were to worship the God in that place. You see, I want you to understand it's really important that you understand this foundationally. God created you um, as relational beings, right? And of all creation, if you read Genesis, and we just did, he created all these different beings, right? But there's only one thing that was wrong, right? There was only the wrong thing that was bad, and he says that man would what? Be alone. It was not good that man was alone. So therefore, God created Adam um, and he gave him Eve because man needs relationships, right? God created you relational. And also, out of all the beings, right, he only, he only talked to one being, and that was what? Adam. God created man for relationships. He created you for a relationship vertically with God. He talked about that a little bit last week that so many times we try to find and um, we have this God void in us. So we try to fill that void in us by things of this world and other idols like Canaanites did, and it's always this empty void because there's a void that God created us in all of us, and he can only fill that with a right relationship with him. That's the imagery of having peace with God. He created all of you in this room and um, with that void. He created you for a vertical relationship, but God created you, all of you in this room, for horizontal relationships. He knew that it was not good for you to be alone. And so, therefore, God gave you, um, for some, God gave you marriages, right? He gave you a, a helper. He gave you a helpmate. But listen, it doesn't stop there. God created you for community. You not only need your spouse, but you need other relationships with other believers. That's why he created the nation of Israel. He, you just think, he could have said, for Abraham, Abram, he said, I'm just going to choose your family, right? No, he didn't do that. He says, Abraham, your family would be like the descendants of the, the sands of the sea. And you, your, your descendants would become a nation, right? It would become a people group, an entire nation who what? Worshipped only God and who would be there for one another. Listen, from the very beginning, he says, Israel, I'm going to take you to the promised land. And I'm going to find a place, that, a place where all of you are to go to worship. You see, God created you for worship God created you for a relationship, and he created that worship and relationships would come together in one place. He did that then, and listen, he still does that for the New Testament. We read that in Acts this week, in Acts 2, when the New Testament church started, right? The Bible says, and they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, the breaking of the bread, and all came off every soul. Many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. All, um, all who believed together and all had in common. They were selling their possessions and belonging and distributing to the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together, breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and, um, and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day of those who were being saved. In the Old Testament church, I mean, the Old Testament, God created a nation, a people who were to come to one place together and worship him. And in the New Testament, he did that also with the church. They would create a body, a church body, where believers would come together and they would come together in relationship with one another. What? To worship the Lord. God commands you for worship. Do you remove all the false worship? But you find a place for worship. And to our folks who are watching online or watching on TV, that cannot be fine just through a TV or through um, online. It's important for us to come together and gather in his house. And we saw that there. And I think it's important for us today. I think third, and did you see that the next instruction there was this command to bring your gifts and your servants to the house of the Lord. Look at verse 6. He says, there 
You shall bring your offerings, your sacrifices, your tithe, and your contribution that you present, and your vow offerings, your free will offerings, your firstborn of your herd. And verse 11, 10 and 11 kind of repeats the same thing. Then to the place that Lord your God will choose to make his name dwell there, you shall bring all that I commanded you, your burnt offerings and your sacrifices, your tithe. It's this imagery that this place that God gives you, this place of worship there, all of you, you're to come to the church house and you're to bring something to it. That's a tithe and you see that mentioned there, their sacrifices. But everyone was coming to give. I read something um, and I, I, I forgot exactly how it went, but the idea was, it was actually what surprised me, it was written like 1989, which is in late 80s. And um, a pastor said that our, the way the, the American church has gone, that we've moved church membership to consumerism. Where finding a church is about what I can find that has the best that makes me happy, the best for my children, the best for my family, the best music, the best teaching whatever is best for me that's where I want to be and it's kind of like we become make church like Burger King it's your way right away right it's all about how we can um, you can be happy in church in the Old Testament and in the New Testament as we just read in Acts coming to church was not about what I can take but coming to church was about what can I give and you see this instructions remove all the false worship find that place but bring your gifts. Bring what God gave you, your service, your talents, whatever God gave you, and bring it to the church and use it there. I read a story of two college students that graduated from um, Chicago Kent College of Law. The highest ranking student of class was a blind man. His name was Overton. And when he received the honor, he insisted that half of the credit go to a man um, and his name was, uh, I'm going to call him Cass. I don't know how to pronounce his name. The two met each other when Cass was armless. And the blind Overton guided him down a flight of stairs. Their friendship ripened after that and they became good friends. And they were, became a beautiful example of interdependence. The blind man carried the books with which the armless man read aloud in their common study. Thus, the individuals use their handicaps to compensate for one another. After graduation, they, pr- they plan to practice law together. But isn't that a beautiful imagery of the body? All of us come with something, something that another church member is lacking. And God wants to use your gift to minister to someone else in this body. But listen, you can't use your gift and help someone else out that needs it in this ministry if you only come to take and not give. And God says, listen, these instructions, go remove all the false worship, find that place, and bring your gifts. And lastly, the last command is gather your family and friends to rejoice the Lord in that place. Love the imagery there. Verse 7, he says, and there, he's talking about there's the place of worship that God's assigned her. There you shall eat before the Lord your God, and you shall rejoice. I like that idea, eating and rejoicing. Two things I love to do. If you track my spending, you'll see where I spend most of my money. Um, You shall eat before the Lord your God, and you shall rejoice. Listen. You and, and who else? Your household. And all that you undertake in which the Lord your God has blessed you. Hey, listen, when you come to church, it's not just about you. It's, it's everybody in your household. Man, you need to bring your kids. You need to bring your parents. Grandparents, you need to bring your kids and your great-grandkids. You should bring those in your household to church. This imagery of gathering family and friends to come to that place. What's the purpose? To rejoice in the Lord. I I love what it says here in verse 12. He says the same thing. And you shall rejoice before the Lord your God. And you, your sons and your daughters, your male servants, your female servants, the Levite that's within your town. 
It's like everyone in your community, the people you're connected with, your friends, the people, your neighbors, bring them to and, and let's gather together for the purpose of worshiping the Lord. You know, as we look at our Constitution bylaws and we look at different ways of the purpose of Bethesda Baptist Church, the fifth thing that God that we say that God created our church for is, is lastly fellowship. It says the churches also exist to encourage and unify the incorporate the corporation into the body of Christ. God created us for fellowship to come together, families and friends and neighbors, and come together for one purpose, and that's to worship the Lord. You know, Scripture says in Hebrews that we shouldn't neglect this. Hebrews 10 says, um, 23 through 25, Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. Let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not to neglect to meet together as the habit of some, but encourage one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. I think it's important that you understand this. You think about God's instructions for worship for me, for you individually. First, it starts with what worship do I need to remove? Second, it comes to have I found that place that God's called our family to? Third, it's what am I bringing to it? And then fourth, it's how faithful am I gathering? I think we, we lose sight as when we think about church membership and we think about church um, and, and worship, we lose sight of just the very simple thing of how important it is to gather. I think the survey says if you do a survey of those who attend church, it's like 40 to 50% say they come to church faithfully. And there's, there's a real, listen, I want you to understand there's, there's really something about the importance of gathering together faithfully. And I, I hope that, and I, I mean this with all sincerity and in love with you, but we learned this really quick in COVID. When we couldn't come to this place, we became desperate to be back together. But now the doors are back open and we've been meeting regularly for about a year now we're drifting back to where things are not quite as regular as before we can we just go when it's convenient or if I can't come I'll just watch online and we neglect neglect the gathering of the body I think one of the very foundational important pieces of being a church member is being faithful to gather together faithful faithful to worship the Lord the Lord I'm saying you know what I I need to get back to church Sunday, not because I have to, or I want to get back to church Sunday because I want to rejoice the Lord with my other brothers and sisters. I ask you today as you we kind of close, how are you doing with the instructions? You know, it's going back to my first illustration. Sometimes we come into church, and let's be honest, let's just be real today. We leave church service, and someone says, how was church? Well, it was church. Preacher preached too long. What? No, that's normal. Well, I, you know, and I just didn't get anything out of the sermon. You know, it was good. He did a good job. He tried. You know, he tried. Bless his heart. <laughs> I just, you know, I don't like that music, that new music. They say the same chorus five times. And I just, you know, it, it just, I was there, but I just, I didn't feel the stirring of the spirit in my soul. Sometimes we blame it on the preacher. We blame it on the worship leader. We blame it on, it was too cold in there. I had to, sh I should have brought a thermal blanket with me. Instead of saying, you know what? The problem is not them. The problem is, how am I doing with the instructions? What else worship have I been giving myself to all week long? And when I've come into Sunday morning, I don't have anything to give God because I've given all my worship to the world last week. Or, or I'm really not really just committed to finding a place for, for me. Or, Lord, I, I really come to just take and I really haven't been bringing anything to you, Lord.
And Lord, I, I really want to make this a time where I, I don't want to just come alone, but I want to get my family together. I want to be together. And I want to get my friends and my neighbors. And I want us to come together and rejoice the Lord. I believe if we follow his instructions, we won't leave this place empty, but we'll leave this place filled. Will you pray with me? Lord, we love you. I thank you, Lord, for today. I thank you, Lord, for this passage you gave us today. And Lord, I think of that song, prone to wonder, God, I feel it, prone to leave the God I love. And God, I think we can all confess today that we are prone to wonder and leave you, God, after the things that we see that are constantly before us in this world. I pray today that we've done some heart diagnostic and we're examined to places where we have given our worship to something else. And Lord, I pray today we start our worship by putting you in the right place. God, I pray today we would be honest about whether we found that place that you'd have us to worship you, Lord. Lord, I pray we would think about how we, what are we bringing to you every Sunday, every week. Or I pray we would think about how are we bringing others to worship and rejoice you, Lord, and for what you've done for us. Lord, I pray we examine what, how are we doing with your instructions. Lord, you are worthy today of our worship. God, now as we end this time of invitation, I pray that we would be honest and open. I pray we'd respond to how you lead us. Let's come to this altar and pray. I pray we'd do that. I pray if it's pray with me or one of our staff, Lord, I pray you would lead us and we'd be faithful to follow. Lord, however you lead us, I pray today we would follow you. Lord, I pray for someone today that doesn't know you as Lord and Savior. God, I pray today it would be a day that they would surrender their life to you. They have talked to me or Devin or one of our staff about how they could put their faith in you for salvation today. Lord, we love you. In your name we pray. Amen. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, avoid, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.